All right, show some love for that. That was amazing. Now, yesterday uh, we packaged 32,540 meals. It's so cool, so much fun. And maybe you missed the opportunity. Well, we're probably going to do that again in the next couple of weeks and send some of those meals around the world. And, and maybe you missed the opportunity. You can sign up and you can wear a cool hat like that and uh, help us package those meals. Uh, where are those meals going? They're going wherever hungry people are. And uh, some of those will go to children in our community at our local elementary schools and our high schools, middle schools. Uh, so what happens if there's a family that the social worker of the school knows that the family needs some help and they're not always getting food? They'll just slip some of those in their backpack and they're really user-friendly. If you can boil water, you can provide a meal for your family. Really cool we get to be a part of that. And so I'm so thankful to Operation In As Much for allowing us to partner with them, and we hope to do that again. Also, I want to let you know that uh, maybe today you've been visiting the church and you did, did not get an opportunity to sign up for a new members class. It, follow, it's, it happens following this service in the student center, which is the other building on the other end. And if you, even if you didn't sign up, you're welcome to come to that if you're considering being a member or partner here at the church at Sturkey Hills. And so you can join us for that. I got a problem I need to confess uh, to the whole church. I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but I've had a problem for a long time, and it is this. It is a sincere hate to wait. Anybody in here hate to wait? Just raise your hand, okay? Any of us lie? The rest of you raise your hand. Ain't nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes waiting, let's be honest. And, 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 and yet that's where we left off in Acts chapter 1 in the first four verses. You know, Jesus has just uh, done some amazing things. Uh, 40 days of, uh, of proof that he was resurrected and he was the true and living God in the flesh. And, and then with this amazing point of excitement in their life, this anticipation of what's next, this anxiousness about where are we going to go with this, Jesus gets on a cloud and flies to heaven and he says, uh, I want you all to stay right here and wait. They're not the words I want to hear, just Wait. I mean, let's go do something because we know this is real now. We are ready. And, and, and I'm like this. I need the Holy Spirit before the wait. I need the Holy Spirit to help me wait, okay? If I'm sitting in a traffic light and it's red and it turns green and the guy in front of me, I'm seeing he's been over looking at his cell phone, but I've got a Sturkey Hill sticker on my truck. I can't blow my horn, okay? I can't ram him in the back. That wouldn't be cool, okay? I need the Holy Spirit, Okay? If I'm standing in line at McDonald's and the woman in front of me steps up there and acts like she's never ordered a meal or been to McDonald's in her whole life, okay, Holy Spirit needs to show up, okay? Uh, so I don't like to wait. And yet sometimes that's what God wants us to do. He says, I want to throw a time out in here. I want to put a pause in the action. I want you just to stop for a minute and wait. Now, in this particular case, there's a reason. Now, this is what he told them. Now, he just got on a cloud, flew to heaven. We're going to talk about that today. And he says, hey, don't, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. Okay, it's not a new thing. Uh, it's a new experience, but it's not a new idea or concept. Jesus has already talked about it and told him what was going to happen. The Old Testament is chock full of what's getting ready to happen. But it's still, they, they don't know exactly what that looks like. So... The series is called, in the book of Acts, Can I Get a Witness? Because at the end of the day, I want you to know something. If you are a child of God, adopted into his forever family through Jesus' finished work, okay, then God's goal for you is twofold, to conform to the image of Christ 
and to be a witness to the world. To make much of this Jesus who has radically changed not just this life, but your eternal destiny. He, he wants you to make much of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. That's your goal. It's just to talk, talk, and make much of Jesus. Now, we're going to look today at just a few verses. Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 on the back of your life guide. We've got an outline back there for you. We're going to try to cover the whole thing. The title of the message is Global. Global. Now, to a, a ragtag bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, and a religious uh, zealot, okay, he, glo- they don't even know what global means. They weren't even certain that, the glo- that there was a globe. There were thoughts out there that were flat riding around on an elephant's back. I mean, it was, they, the, the idea of global is, is unusual for them. Now, we get global. We understand global. We can fly all over the globe. We've got images and satellites, and, and so we get it. Well, we're going to see today that God's goal, his mission, is this word, global. He's going to expand the dimension of this first century early church to the world. Pretty cool. And he's going to use regular people to make it happen. That's good news for you. Certainly good news for me. Now, for it to happen, there's some things that have to be in place before it happens. Number one on the back of your life, God, is this. Preparation for the mission. There has to be some preparation for this mission because it's not your normal mission. Verse 5 says this, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he said, I'm going to launch you into the world. And this thing is going to be enormous. And it's going to go on for years. But for it to happen, you need to be prepared well. When I was growing up, I was in the Cub Scouts. Then I was in the Boy Scouts. Who knows what the Boy Scout motto is? No, No proud Boy Scouts in the whole building. Be prepared. Be prepared. Now, if you're going on a vacation... If you're going on a, a, a hiking, camping trip, if you're going to the beach, if you're going on a mission trip, if you're going to school, you need to prepare. You need to pack your bags. You need to take what you need for the trip for it to be successful. It does me no good to take a backpack and hiking boots and go to Destin, Florida. I mean, if I'm going to Destin, Florida, I'm not going to hike in a big pair of boots. And it does me no good to take sunscreen and flip-flops and hike to Mount LeConte, right? You have to take the right things for the right trip. And so Jesus knows this, and he knows these guys who he has selected to take the story of the good gospel of Jesus to the world through. He knows that they don't get what they need to prepare, how they need to prepare and what they need to take. He knows they don't even have what they need for the trip to be successful, but he knows where to get it. And that's what he's trying to convey. He's trying to tell them, you you don't have what you need, so I'm going to give it to you. Sometimes we miss that critical point. We get born again, saved, give our life to Jesus, receive his grace, grace gift, and we launch out into this journey unprepared. And then we wake up in our life somewhere down the road in our Christian experience, and it's just not very victorious It's more of a religion than it is a relationship. And the reason often is because we skip this part. We skip the part of getting the preparation that we needed to empower us to be on a good journey with Jesus. I know I certainly did. I didn't really get the instruction right 
No, I'm not saying somebody didn't try to tell me, but I didn't get it. And maybe you didn't get it either. So what is this preparation that Jesus wants to give them? He says, you're going to have to wait a few days. Now imagine these disciples, they're thinking everything Jesus says, and now he's telling them new stuff. And they're thinking, uh, you, you, you've been telling us stuff for three years, and most of it just went right over our head. It just went right around us. We didn't get it. Why do you think we're going to get this? Why do you think, Jesus, that we even understand what you're talking about? You said in just a few days, we are convinced now, Jesus, that you are eternal. You are outside the time continuum as we know it. In your kingdom, they don't need calendars and days and months and seconds and minutes. And yet you're telling us a few days that could mean anything. We don't even know what you're talking about. And, and then he says, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk about that for a minute. Those two ideas are not new to a Jew. Baptism was a part of Jewish culture. If you are a Jew and you haven't been living well for God, you repent. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you, you, you return to God. And as a mark of that, they would be baptized. Or if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you wanted to subscribe to Jewish custom, you wanted to become a Jew, you could be baptized into Judaism. Baptism was the same in the Old Testament as it is today. It's immersion. It's, it's just dipped, dunked, or immersed. In the Greek, it's baptizo. And, and they would do that. Same thing we do today. They weren't unfamiliar with the idea of the Holy Spirit, but they were unfamiliar with the idea of the Holy Spirit for regular people. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would be on a king. The Holy Spirit would be on a priest. The Holy Spirit would be on some, a prophet that, some, that God is using in a great way. And they're thinking, uh, I'm a fisherman. I'm a tax collector. Holy Spirit doesn't really apply to me. And now you merge the two together that you're going to be dipped in the Holy Spirit, that you're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. This is a real curveball. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Quite honestly, 2,000 years ago, we don't either. And that's what we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks. Now, Jesus had told them in John 14, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he resides with you and will be in you. You see, the first two prepositions of the Holy Spirit's entrance into the story he says, first of all, the Holy Spirit, I'm, the Father's going to send him. He's going to be with you. I want you to understand what that means. The Holy Spirit is with us even right now. He's around us. He's here. And, and, and apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't be saved. You see, the Holy Spirit has to woo you, has to invite you, has to draw you into the family of God. You don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to get saved today. I've been procrastinating. I think I'm going to ask Jesus to save me and he's going to save me today. You can do that. But the fruit of it is useless. The Holy Spirit invites us. He convicts us. He draws us. The, the second thing is the Holy Spirit not only convicts us being with us, 
He says the Holy Spirit is not only with you, he's in you. So the Holy Spirit invites us into God's family, and we have that moment where we're like, I realize that I'm lost. I realize that God is not my father. He's somebody I know about, somebody who I wish he was my father, but I'm out of the family. I've never surrendered myself to Jesus. And on this day, you do. You repent of your sins. You put your belief and your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves you, and the Holy Spirit of promise seals you and marks you as a child of God. Now, that Holy Spirit has moved now from with you to in you. Now he's in you. Now he's in you. He's there to convict, to, to, uh, to encourage, to remind, to help us, to lead us. Now he went from with you, now he's in you. And we're going to see in a couple weeks there's another preposition that we're going to be looking at. Okay, so the Holy Spirit has a job to do. It's not new. In the Old Testament, as an example, in one of my favorite prophets, Joel he says in Joel 2:28, after all of this, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your elderly will have prophetic dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. John the Baptist even told the early uh, Jews who were following Jesus John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. He baptized Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, I baptize you with water, because that's what Jews did. And he said, it's for repentance. But the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not even worthy to carry his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so what's getting ready to happen is the next chapter. If you're watching a play, this would be the next chapter scene. We're moving to a, a whole different time, a whole different um, revelation of what God wants to do among people. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit is going to come. Jesus knew that the preparation was important because the goal and the job and the assignment and the calling and the command and the commission that he had for those disciples, which, by the way, is the same that he has for you, he knew it's bigger than they knew. He knew this thing was enormous. He, he, knew, he knew that it was supernatural. And listen to me. Supernatural things only happen through supernatural means. Jesus knew that. He knew what he was going to ask them to do and what he's asking of us as a church and me as a pastor and you as a follower of Jesus. He knew it was supernatural and you needed to be prepared. We, they needed to be re, uh, prepared and you and I need to be prepared and we need to have supernatural power to accomplish a supernatural goal. It doesn't mean you can't do things in the flesh. That's usually where we operate. It doesn't mean you can't accomplish good or great things in the flesh. Often we do. But it means if God wants you to accomplish something bigger than you, you need some preparation from someone who is outside of you, who has now come within you, and that would be the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference. It's like I was talking with Bob before the service. He said, I just thought about this. He said, it's like the car. 
Okay, the car is a great invention. We got a whole parking lot full of nice cars. But if while we're in here, somebody came out with a siphon hose and sucked all the fuel out of it, or if you drive a battery car, snatched the battery out of your car, our beautiful cars are going to be there this afternoon until we put some power in them, some gasoline in them to get them things going. And that's the way our life is in the flesh without the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's beautiful. It's great. Looks good. But there's no power in it. And the power comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples then had experienced now Jesus in the flesh, okay? Three years as a disciple, 40 days post-resurrection, hanging out with Jesus with these convincible proofs. Now he's gone to heaven, and Jesus is going to require something different of them, the third person of the Trinity. Now, let me just unpack this a little. This is multiple sermons, so we're just going to make it real simple. We believe in a triune Godhead. What does that mean? The Trinity. We believe that God is one God, yet three persons. God is, is comprised of three persons being one God. There's the Father, God. There's Jesus, the Son, God. There's the Holy Spirit, God. All co-equal, all eternally coexistent, okay? All God, one person. Now, you can't understand that. Well, maybe you can. you got a big head, big brain, but I sure can't. Theologians through the ages have not, okay? It's outside of what we know. So God is always doing this thing, and then Jesus shows up to do this thing, and now he says, let me introduce you up close and personal to the third person of who I am, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes to give them power to accomplish the goal. Now, Jesus has warned them that, that he's going to be leaving and he's warned them, but I got to go. Because if I don't go, the next part of God can't show up. He told them that. And he told them that the Holy Spirit is the one. Now, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit shows up? What does it look like when after waiting? Let's just say today. We just decided to wait on the Holy Spirit. And it sounded like this. And we're waiting. And we don't know what to expect. We're just not sure. But we know the Jesus who just flew away told us he's coming. What happens when he comes? We're going to see that in the next couple weeks. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Okay? This is what we know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up to impress other people. He doesn't. The Holy Spirit doesn't come on me to impress you. The Holy Spirit will not come on me to showcase some special level of spirituality that I have and you don't have. The Holy Spirit doesn't come as a sign that I'm saved. And then if the Holy Spirit doesn't come, I'm not saved. The Holy Spirit doesn't come so I can gain some personal desire or agenda from God. That's not why the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit 
doesn't come to demonstrate super spirituality in a group. The Holy Spirit comes to empower disciples or followers of Jesus to be amazing supernatural witnesses of Jesus. That's it. The Holy Spirit wants to empower me. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be witnesses of Jesus. That's why he came. Because this thing is global. This thing is bigger than some fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot who had probably never been over 50 miles from their home. How are we going to take this thing to the furthest parts of the world? I guess, I guess we'll call Delta Airlines and get us a flight. Nope. I guess we'll call one of the cruise lines and we'll sail. Nope. I guess we'll call them or send them an email. Nope. They didn't have any of the tools. Listen to me. They didn't have any of the tools that we have. And because they were obedient to wait, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and go, you and I are in a church on this day because they did what they were supposed to do. I want you to understand how you live your life and your witness and testimony about Jesus. It's not just for the moment. It has the potential of changing the dimension and the occupation of heaven forever. Pretty cool. Pretty, they didn't get that. But we can look back and see it. And so we have no excuse. And so the right preparation is required. Number two, the precedence of the mission. I want you to understand how important this mission is. It's, it's the end all. It's the chief of things that God wants you and I to know and do. So in the passage, the disciples, they've been told to wait. They say now in verse 6, so when they gathered together, they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he told them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, this isn't the goofiest question they've ever asked. They asked some goofy questions. Even in Scripture, there was a time when they said, hey, who's going to be first in the kingdom? I mean, they're jockeying to be like vice president, you know? Like, who's going to be in charge? And Jesus says, y'all are silly. Drop that. And that's what he says here. Now, these guys were Jews. They loved their country. They loved Israel. They loved the history of Israel. They loved the miracles that God had done through the people and the nation and the leaders of Israel. And they wanted it back. They wanted the prominence and the prestige of Israel that they once had. So they're thinking, is this the time that he's going to restore it? Because if it is, he's using us. That's big. Jesus wanted them to know. That's not the mission. That's not the precedence of the mission. The precedence of the mission is bigger than that. Jesus was saying, I want you to keep the main thing, the main thing. In other words, what I tell you to do, you do it until I bring you home or tell you to do something else. 
we've lost this. We've simply stopped testifying about Jesus. We don't invite our neighbors to church often. Somebody new moves in the neighborhood, which is a lot. Somebody has a brand new neighborhood, which is a lot. We don't go and say, hey, new in the neighborhood? Yeah, I brought you dinner, and I'd like to invite you to our church. It can be that simple. We don't minister to people who are struggling by talking to them about Jesus. We've just kind of backed off. And meanwhile, the whole world is screaming their agenda. And it's time that you and I understand the precedence of the mission. Sometimes we worry about the wrong things. We worry about the future. Even in the church, there are people who devote their life to studying and pondering the idea of the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus, the millennial kingdom, and, and, and we talk about it, talk about it, study about it, study about it. We don't have to worry about that. It's good to study about it. It's good to pray about it. It's good to be excited about it, but we've forgotten the main thing. The main thing is to tell people about Jesus. Matthew 6 says this about tomorrow. Let me ask you, does anybody worry about things in the future? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, most of us. Jesus said this, so then don't worry about tomorrow. That's from Jesus. He goes on, he says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's worries are coming. You just take care of today. You just live for God today and don't worry about tomorrow. And so he's telling his disciples, we don't have to worry about Jesus' second coming. We need to worry more about us being obedient and going. Now I want to say that again. We need to worry about more about our going than we worry about his coming because when he comes what we did in going matters you see there's people in our world who are literally dying to hear the good news gospel that there's eternal hope and life found in Jesus and he told us to go and tell them and that's our job now when is the second coming when is Jesus coming we don't know we don't know. I remember 1988. <clears throat> I was really hungry for Jesus. I was reading the Bible a lot. And there was this little book came out. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And I said, okay. So I read it. I was, I, was, I, was, I was into eschatology. I was reading about future events. I was wanting Jesus to come back. 88 reasons. Here's 88 reasons he's coming back. I'm getting ready. Last time I checked. He didn't come, okay? So now you could come up with 188 reasons why he didn't come in 1988. And so we want to know, but you will never know. You don't need to ask me. You don't need to guess. Jesus told his disciples in Mark and Matthew both. He said, as for the day or the hour, no one knows it. Neither the angels in heaven, they don't know. The son himself, he doesn't know. Except the Father. <clears throat> so watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the time will come. So we don't worry about that. 
Jesus wasn't worried about it. God the Father, that first part of the Trinity, he has a calendar. And on that calendar, he has a day. And on that day, he will tell Jesus, go get your church. Jesus will come and get his church, and the end times will unfold. But until he comes, he's told us to go. So we need to focus on our part. So we have preparation and we have precedence. Thirdly, what about the power for the mission? If, if, if people are supposed to spread this new part of God's storyline, the new covenant, the good gospel of the finished work of Jesus, where's the power going to come to do that? He tells them in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, you remember the first two prepositions? The Holy Spirit is with you. You get saved. The Holy Spirit is deposited in you. Now, he says, the Holy Spirit power is going to be upon you. Now, he's going to empower only those who believe to spread the gospel. And, and, and he wants all of us to do that. The, not just the preacher. We're all supposed to make much of Jesus. We're all supposed to have a testimony. If God has changed your life now and, a cha and changed your eternal destiny forever, we got something to say. We got a story that's worth telling. We've got a, a, some good news that people need to hear. And that's what he wants to empower us for. Now, what is this power? Well, this power in the Greek is called dunamis. Dunamis. Let me tell you where we get that word, where, where, where we would be familiar with that word. There was a guy, his name was Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish engineer, and his dad made munitions, had a munitions company. He made uh, bullets, and so for the military. So Alfred was familiar with explosive things like black powder. But along the way, some other guy shows up with this volatile liquid chemical called nitroglycerin. And nitroglycerin, out of control, will kill a lot of people. So Alfred Nobel learned how to control this power by putting it in a stick wrapped in paper, and he put a, a blasting cap on the top, which would, charge, which would cause a charge to ignite this explosive. And we know it as dynamite. The word dynamite comes from the Greek word dunamis, okay? And so when we think about the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, everybody say me. It's not for some denomination. It's not for some individual. A person who's born again, a person who is a Christian, a person who is a disciple of Jesus, God says, I want to put the Holy Spirit upon you. I want to give you dynamite power to share the gospel. I've shared the gospel with I don't know how many people, and I certainly don't know how many people have ultimately been saved. I don't know how many people have not received it, but I can tell you this. More often than not, when I share the gospel, the person has not received the message. And I would say, in fairness, many times, I shared the gospel in the flesh. I didn't pray enough for the person that I was going to share the gospel to. I didn't pray for the Holy Spirit to be upon me, to empower me. 
quite honestly, just out of ignorance, unknowingly, I started practicing this week, praying that the Holy Spirit will be upon me. You know, when I find myself needing to pray that, I talked about it earlier, in my vehicle. It's like as soon as I told God, God, I want the Holy Spirit to be upon me. I know he's with me. I know he's in me. I want the power of, I want your Holy Spirit power on my life. I want you to do what only you can do through me and through our church. I want it to be supernatural, bigger than what flesh can accomplish. And so you know what he does? He puts me on the street behind people talking on their cell phones. He puts me in a line. I told Kendra this. I forgot to tell the early service. I went to Weigel's. I hate lottery. I'm trying to buy uh, something to drink. And this person's scratching off trying to win, you know, and I'm standing there. But on this day, it wasn't the lottery. Guy in front of me, three deep over here, one deep over here. (laughs) I'm here. I'm in the fast lane. You know you've done this. I'm standing there. And this guy's card, it must have zeroed out the whole computer system. And the woman that's working there, her and her three teeth, were unplugging everything behind the counter, trying to figure out how to get this thing to work again. And meanwhile, this other line, it's going through. I mean, it's like a toll booth. And the whole time, it's like the Holy Spirit's saying, you just wait right there. Now, everything but my body has jumped over in that other lane. Okay, my mind, my spirit, everything's over there. But I'm contained, trapped in this line. And I'm beginning to wonder, is Wiggles open 24-7? Because they're going to close the place down before I get out of here. And I, I couldn't leave. I, I, I was just going to put my drink on the shelf and go away. And the Lord wouldn't let me. He said, you just wait. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You want the Holy Spirit's power in your life? He's going to make you wait to see if you really want the Holy Spirit power in your life, okay? So I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I'm practicing, and it takes some power. You have children sometimes who are wayward. Maybe they're two, maybe they're 22, maybe they're 52, okay? And they're just driving you up the wall. They will not live right, act right, speak right, and they're driving you nuts in the flesh. You're losing that battle. I believe this is the time when you need to wait. Say, God, I want you to put your Holy Spirit power upon me. Because in some cases, if you don't, I'm going to kill them. And in other cases, maybe you want me to kill them. I don't know. Okay? I think we need to practice it. I'm going to show you in the next couple weeks about how that works. And it's real. And, and, and we, we haven't done very good at that. Amen? We, we, we're pretty good at accomplishing things in our own flesh. Amen? I know I do. I want to see what God wants to do. There was a story about a, a preacher from China who had been a mission of an American church. And he came over here to visit the church that was sponsoring this church plant. And he went to the church service, and afterwards they were at lunch, and he, the preacher asked the, 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 the local pastor, asked the pastor from China, he said, did you enjoy the service? He said, it was beautiful. It was amazing. He said, I was amazed. He said, and I wonder what it would be like if God was there. Just, I mean, it punched him in his soul. Because it was, a lot of it was flesh. It was just accomplished by our own flesh abilities. And, and like I said, we can do some great things. But how much sweeter would it be to be a church 
where God does bigger than flesh, where God does like supernatural stuff. And I'm not, don't, 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 I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm not trying to sound spooky. Okay, let, let all that go. I'm saying when a church, simply the individuals of a church body say, God, I know you're with me. I know you're in me. I want you to be upon me. Use me to be your witness. Now, Alfred Nobel named that. And there's a funny story about that. I will share quickly. He, the reason he created the Nobel Prize, this is who we're talking about, was because his brother blew himself up apparently. And when they wrote the obituary, they didn't use his brother's name. They used his name. And in the obituary, they referred to him as the merchant of death, one who developed new ways to mutilate and kill. And so to make things right and change his forever history, he donated the masses of wealth that he had predominantly to this foundation called the Nobel Prize. Pretty cool story. Why? Because of this word, dynamite. And I got to thinking about that. That's what the Holy Spirit dynamite dunamis wants to do in our life. It wants to change the dimension of our experience on this earth. I'm not talking about everybody being rich. That's fine too. I'm not talking about everybody being healed and, and without any imperfection or blemish or sickness or struggle. I'm not talking about that. That's real. That's part of the Christian experience just like it's a part of everybody's experience on this broken globe. But I'm talking about a life lived fully for God under the power of the Holy Spirit. What that looks like, it'll be beautiful. Now, Jesus had that supernatural challenge for him. He talked about the preparation, the precedence, and the power for, which I really like, the people of the mission. You know, if you're, in, if you're in business and you're marketing something, let's just say you're selling construction tools. Well, you're not going to have a whole lot of luck over at the nursing home, okay? If you're in the business of selling a product, you want to have a market that that product is good for. Jesus is going to tell us right now, that this mission, the people of this mission, is every person you ever come in contact with in this world. Every person on the planet. He says, you're going to be filled with the power when the, when the Holy Spirit is upon you. And then he says the second half, he says, and you will be my witnesses. That's why. That's why the Holy Spirit comes to be a witness. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's up close and personal in your home. And in all Judea. Even to Samaria, people that we don't like, and to the furthest parts of the earth. And 2,000 years ago, you and I were the furthest parts of the earth. Why are we here? Because they received the dunamis, the Holy Spirit power upon them. And they were witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now we're here. Is that not crazy? It's a God, it's a global mission that Jesus launched. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. Listen to this. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand this. I didn't come to save Israel. I came to save the world. Is that not good? That's so good. I didn't come to save a broken nation. I came to save all the nations. I didn't come to save people who had Jewish blood. I came to save people who had red blood. 
came, it's global. This thing Jesus did is enormous. And he was entrusting a dozen yahoos with this. Isn't that good hope for us? He trusted this global campaign to change the eternal destiny of all of creation, all of mankind. He trusted it with some everyday, run-of-the-mill, cut-of-the-normal-cloth individuals like me and like you to take it to the world. He came to restore a fallen world, and he used regular people. And it started in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, he tells us it all starts from Jerusalem. Uh, Isaiah talks about it. Micah talks about it. Other scripture. What does that even mean? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a brother, a sister, a son, or a daughter? It starts in your home. It starts right where you are. But it was never intended to stay there. That's just where it develops. And maybe you've never witnessed to anybody. You've never shared the gospel with anybody. You're just mortified by that concept. You need to go before the Lord and wait and say, I want the Holy Spirit to be upon me. I want to do that. I want to change. I want to be a part of change in somebody's eternal destiny. Because the things that I do on earth... They're they're beneficial, but only for a short period of time. This thing is eternal. It lasts forever. I want to be a part of something bigger. So I want you to to, to help me. So so, so how do you get ready? You wait for the Holy Spirit. What do you do do while you wait for the Holy Spirit to be upon you? If you're married, tell your spouse. I know you wonder if they're saved. (laughs) That was a joke. Y'all must seriously wonder if yours is saved. (laughs) But you say, hey, you know, why don't we just practice? It's fun. Practice sharing the gospel. And men, just your wife's going to make fun of you. That's just life, okay? Practice sharing the gospel. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, in a moment you're at work, and this person is lost, and you may not even have known it, and the Lord just sends them right up in your space, and the door opens, you're ready. Maybe you're down at 11B. This happened Monday. I was at 11B where we feed and shower homeless people. And, and, and Clark and, and TJ are two of our best at, at kind of meandering among the people and praying over them, just encouraging them. They do great. And some people are uncomfortable with that, so they have other responsibilities. And it's all good and beneficial. But I'm standing there, and this lady came through, and she's homeless. And I said, hey, young lady, it's good to have you with us tonight. I said, God loves you. And she said, yeah, I just wish Jesus would come back. And I thought, wow. And I said, I do too. And I said, he's coming back. And she said, I'll be glad when he does. I got some questions for him. This is a homeless woman, probably on addicted to stuff. I said, the problem is he's probably got questions for you too. She said, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And then she said, I said, are you familiar with the Bible? You read the Bible? She said, yeah, I read the Bible, but you can't believe all of it. And I said, well, why do you believe the part about him coming back? She said, because he's coming back. I said, okay. And she said, but you can't believe all of it because it's written by men. I said, well, men penned it, but it's written by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the breath of God, the theonoustos. So I had to throw a little Greek in there just to throw throw a kink in her system. And so so I said, I I had never said this before. I said, the Bible says that Jesus was the word made flesh. And the word can't have mistakes in it 
if Jesus is the word made flesh because Jesus was perfect and he had to be to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And she goes, huh, I had never thought of that. And I said, I hadn't either. And, and I said, you keep, I said, you have a Bible? She said, I do. I said, you keep reading that Bible, but read it through different eyes. Believe everything it says. And I said, God is alive and he loves you. And she went on her way. Now, why do I say that? Because I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would be upon me. I've never said that before. And, and what I just said, it's true. I never thought about that. But it's, a, it's a really good, refutable evidence that the Bible is true and infallible and errant and eternal. Because Jesus was this with skin on. And if it's got mistakes in it, Jesus' flesh had mistakes in it. But he didn't because it didn't. So the Holy Spirit will help us. And we're going to learn that over the next couple of weeks. Now, so who are the people? This is really cool too. John, the same guy who wrote Jesus, the word of God. Uh, Jesus was the word made flesh. And we, uh, d- he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the only glory, uh, the only of the, uh, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He says this too. He gets to go to heaven. And Jesus invited John while on the aisle called Patmos. He, he invited him to heaven to see the future. And he writes the book of Revelation. This is what he says in Revelation 7 about the people that this global mission is for. It's perfect. He says, after these things I looked and, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count. And it was made up of persons from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. That's what it's going to look like in heaven. It's going to be all colors. It's going to be all flavors. It's going to be all complexions. It's going to be all uh, uh, ethnicities. It's going to be people from all socioeconomic backgrounds. There's no barriers. There's no barriers. Listen to me. If there's people in your world that you just seem to struggle with because they have an agenda and they live a lifestyle that doesn't look like what the Bible calls them to live, uh, to live in, you don't hate those people. You love those people. That's your mission field. You pray for them. You pray for you. You ask for the Holy Spirit to be upon you. You look for opportunities. You share the love of Jesus. Make much of Jesus and let God worry about all that. We're called to love people and share the love of Jesus in their life, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how different they are than us. And one day in heaven, who knows, but this is what it looks like according to John the Revelator number five, and we're finished. The parentheses for the mission. The parentheses is, is an interlude. If you quote something in a paper you write, you put parentheses, and, and it means everything is contained within those two punctuation marks called parentheses. Okay? And so what has happened here is Jesus is giving them a calling. Now we're going to know how long this calling lasts. It says in verse 9, After Jesus had said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. And as they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them. Verse 11. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go to heaven. He told them he was going. He told them he had to go before the 
so the Holy Spirit could come. But let's just pause right there and put ourselves in these fishermen, tax collectors, and religious zealots' shoes. 40 days of convincible proof that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 40 days of hanging out with him. And on this day, he invites us out to the mountain. And we walk to the mountainside. And in this moment, Jesus raises his hands and he blesses this ragtag group of 12. And he flies to heaven. And the disciples are staring into the sky like, like we do when one of my grandchildren have a birthday party. And we have helium balloons. And we go out there and we let the helium balloon go. And we watch it and we watch it. And then we can't hardly see it. Oh, there it is. And here are these guys. The only difference, it's not a helium balloon. It's Jesus. And now they're sitting there thinking, he did a lot of stuff. Did you know he could do that? Who knew he could do that? Right? I mean, they're just amazed. And these angels or these men clothed in white show up and they go, hey, fellas, what are you doing? Did he tell you was the great commission, go ye therefore and look into the sky? No, it's to go ye therefore and make disciples. Stop looking into the sky and go to work. And sometimes that, we got our head in the clouds sometimes. And we miss the part of us doing what it is he's challenged and called and commissioned us to do. And so the parentheses. The angel said, stop looking into the sky. Because that same Jesus is going to come back just like he left. That was 1900, about 1990 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. Okay? The parentheses is the church age. Between Jesus getting on a cloud and flying to heaven. And Jesus getting on a cloud and flying back. That's the parentheses. And the same commission that those first 12 had is the same commission God has for you and for me to make much of Jesus, to tell people in our Judea, uh, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and in our world, the story. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always. The Holy Spirit, dynamite power is, is with us and in us and desires to be upon us to accomplish all that he has called us to do. Now, sometimes people get to a place where they struggle and they're like, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he came from heaven. I believe he died on a cross. And I believe he wants me to be part of God's family. And I believe he's the only one can save me. And I've done that. I've prayed to receive Jesus into my life. And I feel like I'm a child of God. And I think the Holy Spirit's on me. But this whole second coming thing and the rapture before that and, and then the, the rain, millennial thousand year reign on earth, I kind of get off the bus on that. That's, that's kind of way out there for me. I, I can't really wrap my mind around it. No, you can't. It's a God thing, all right? You can't wrap your mind around it. And then we say, well, and I know the angels or the men in white told those guys that, 
He's going to come back. And I know that the Old Testament talks more about the second coming than it talks about his first coming. I get all that. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time. And every day that passes, it makes me wonder more. It's so, and it's a, it's a good question that I think sometimes we need to reconsider things. So let's change perspectives just for a second. Look through a different lens. God created everything, I believe, in six literal days, rested on the Sabbath. And you can differ from that, and it's okay. Um, but what if that's a picture? Because often in the Old Testament, it's a picture of things to come. Moses was a picture of Jesus. Isaac uh, was a picture of Jesus. All types in the Old Testament. So let's, let's just imagine God worked for six days, okay, building this amazing planet and all of the universe. And on the seventh day, he rested. And let's just pretend for a second that he did that 6,000 years ago. Not 60 billion like your science book may say. Well, let's pretend that it was only 6,000 years ago. And we're going to pretend based on the fact that this book has a timeline. And this book's timeline goes about 6,000 years. That's true. The timeline in this book <clears throat> says 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. And we got two good chapters, man. Two, two good chapters. And the rest of the book is God fixing what we broke. And so let's just imagine for a second that 6,000 years ago, he created everything. And, and only shortly after that, um, he would bring Abraham and begin to write a story and then, or excuse me, he would flood the earth. And then he would write a story through Abraham. And let's just say about 4,000 years go by, and guess who shows up? Jesus. Now let's just imagine those first 4,000 years represent four days of creation. Now let's just imagine that for the last 2,000 years, those are two more days of creation. Two more days of creation. And there's one day of creation that's left. And that'll be the seventh. Now, what if you and I are living in day six, the 6,000th year? And what if when Jesus returns again to rule and reign in peace on this earth represents day seven? And what if we're on the cusp? What if we're at the threshold and it's getting ready to happen? That excites me. I don't want to get hung up in that because meanwhile, meanwhile, while all that's going on, most of the people that you and I know and most of the people in the world are not going to go to heaven when they die. You get that, right? Most of the people aren't going to go. Scripture tells us this. It tells us this in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many, so many who enter that way how narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life, and there are few. It means many or most are going, not going to heaven, and few are going to make it. And it's our job to help people make it. It's our job to help people get off of that broad road that's going to destruction and get them funneled into the narrow road that gets them into the place of God for eternity. And so what about all these days, and what about these thousands of years, and, and all of that stuff, Second Peter 3, and we're done. 
He says, above all, understand this. In the last days, there's going to be blatant scoffers being propelled by their own evil urges, saying, where is this promised truth, this promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately suppressed this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water. And through these things, the world existing at the time was destroyed when it was deluged with water. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice, that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years are like a single day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you, because he doesn't wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We're in the parentheses. We're in the mission territory between Jesus' ascension back to heaven and Jesus' return to earth. And we got work to do. And we're going to see in the coming weeks and chapters in this book, there's some crazy stuff in Acts. Man, there's, there's speaking in tongues. There's miraculous healings. Dead people coming to life. I mean, it's, it's amazing stuff in there. Thousands and thousands of people joining the church, getting saved in a day. Amazing. But the central theme of all of it is the Holy Spirit power making you and me better witnesses in our world. And I truly believe if we just ask for God to do that, we're going to see people saved that we thought were so far from God they could never be saved. People in our families that we've just kind of written off. People at work that just don't know that all of a sudden they're going to get it. And that's what I want for our church. Because the more we see and experience God doing beautiful things in his church, the more our love for Jesus grows. And the more our love for his church grows, and the more and the greater our expectation of his return becomes. And that's what I want this church to be. A church who just will not shut up about the greatness of Jesus. If you want that too, say amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as believers. To come and worship and to learn and to look back at the early church and Sometimes, God, we drift so far from where you intended us to be. So, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to do a work in each one of our lives. That we won't just know the Holy Spirit as someone who is with us or even in us, sealing us as your children. But a Holy Spirit whose power is upon us. And God, that you will do great things, greater things than you've already done. And we give you praise and glory for what you've already done. But God, we pray that you will use us to change our neighborhood, our Jerusalem, our country, our state, our Judea, 
our Samaria and the furthest parts of the world. We thank you in advance for giving us your power. We thank you in advance for what you will do through us in your power. And we thank you, God, that it will give us all the more reason to worship you more. God, if there's someone here today who has maybe heard the name of Jesus, familiar with Christianity, but they, they've never received salvation. They've never had spiritual rebirth, never been born again. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do, and that is to invite them, to woo them, to call them into your family. And I pray, God, that you would give them boldness to receive that invitation and that they would receive Jesus' grace gift to change their life and their destiny. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that we will just live this life full and free in your Holy Spirit. And we will be who you want us to be. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.